0: I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive. Is expensive? I got expensive. Is expensive. i, been the and, I been and welcome to this episode of Put That Copy Down. I'm your host, Kevin Hill, as always, here where we talk about freight sales because this is the freight sales podcast for closers. And I have a very special guest in here in the online studio for you today. He was my first job when I was a freight broker. My, my introduction to the industry is Mr. Kyle Golston, and he's with Cargo Quotes. He's a chief operating officer over there, and they do a lot of cross-border shipping. We've been talking about that a little bit, and I think we're gonna be talking about that for the next decade uh, or more, but he taught me a lot about in and out of Mexico moves when we we're at our former employer, and um, it's gonna be nice uh, catching up with Kyle Golston, or as I call
1: him, KG today. Hey, and as I call you, K Hill, baby. <laughs> we, we had a lot of K's in the office, didn't we? Well, yes, we did. With that, it was a requirement to have a Kyle or a Kevin or a K name, and in in everybody in our office seemed to have that at one point. So I, I it was a lot of fun.
0: Did. I think that that. And that was about 11 years ago whenever I joined. Yep. I think 2012,
1: 2013. Yeah, that's about right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I started so there in 2008. So yeah, that would have been about right. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was always interesting, and in, in, in
0: going in and out of Mexico, kind of that that that, that cross border activity was it was kind of our niche mm-hmm. in that office and and flatbed, and it was it was interesting. Yeah, we had a great time.
1: Yeah, it yeah. was where we all we all cut our teeth in crossbed cross border mm-hmm. freight back then. You know, that was kind of where I learned cross border. I knew little bit about everything in the transportation business up until that point. And that was my first four way into brokerage. Um, and it just so happened that, um, we had a sister company that was strong in Mexico and we latched onto that and built a brokerage around, uh, around that cross border business and had some, had some people on our team that knew a lot about it, but, um, a couple of guys like us didn't know a whole lot about it and learned a lot in the process. So it was a great time, good company and learned a, a whole bunch about cross border back in the day. We did, we did. And you said that was your first foray into brokerage. You you know, started I'd run a brokerage. Yeah, I'd run a brokerage, but it was it was relatively small at um, okay. at Yellow Corporation. But um, the majority of what we did, and and the team that I managed at YRC when it, right prior to living was domestic freight forwarding with a little tuck-in brokerage operation that was pretty small. Nothing nothing compared to what we did at Melton, and yeah. and we've done since then at other other companies. So. That is correct. So that was my segue
0: right there. Is is you started out in the LTL world, uh, Yellow. You spent uh, a number of years at Yellow. Good. That's been in the news, unfortunately, yep. lately. And um, just wanted to to get your thoughts on on that situations and and what you know your days at right. Yellow and what it meant and. I guess it was yeah, I was, as an
1: alumni, it was, I guess is what I'd call myself at YRC yes. corporate. You know, I was there for almost twenty five years. Um, did a little bit of everything. Traveled all over the country. Lived in a, a number of different places doing sales, operations, and as I mentioned, I finished up my, my career at YRC in the domestic freight forwarding um, side of the business. Um, but yeah, I, I had a bunch of good people there. Had a bunch of friends there. Over obviously over twenty five years, you build a pretty significant network and. It was tough to watch from afar. I got um, in two thousand and eight, as I mentioned, with that's when you and I um, you know, when I joined Melton and subsequently you joined us as well. But um, you know, I got you know, sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're smart. I got lucky in two thousand and eight and got that job offer from from Melton and, and left YRC just as things were really starting to get tough for, for the corporation. Um, obviously the two thousand and eight turnout in the economy, the Great Recession, whatever you want to call that, that happened in two thousand and eight. So Got lucky, like got out, but, um, you know, there was a, a whole host of things that could have, should have, would have, you know, maybe should have, shouldn't have been done, could have been done to prevent the demise of YRC, and I think everybody, you know, had a hand in and the ultimate closure of the company, but, you know, deregulation didn't help, um, being a, one of the last union carriers um, still in business, um, probably put them in a competitive disadvantages, you know, that inability to adapt quickly just because of some of the work rules and things that 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 they dealt with. And, you know, the union went a long way to help them through some of their struggles in the early, between 2008 and the closure, but I think at the end, both parties had just said, enough's enough. Um, you know, biggest wasn't the best, but that was their strategy to become the biggest and and turned out it was probably, probably the death knell for them when they started to, you know, acquire companies that were of like size and of like nature, and they were, you know, doubling down on their overhead costs, doubling down on their, you know, terminal exposure. You know, customer base wasn't a significant enough, a significantly enough difference um, to really bring on additional new business through the acquisition strategy. So, yeah, there was a lot of things over the course of, you know, fifteen or sixteen years that really led to, um, you know, the events over the last couple, you know, thirty days. So. It's sad to see, but, um, you know, it's one of those. When I went to work for YRC or Yellow Freight, as it was called in 1991, it was like going from the minor leagues to the majors. I was at a a regional carrier um, that was based in Northwest Arkansas, got the opportunity, um, again, because of a bankruptcy, um, got an opportunity to go to work for for, uh, Yellow Freight. And, you know, I thought I'd hit the jackpot, you know, the lottery, you know, getting to go to the major leagues and play with the big boys. And, 25 years, it was a great opportunity for me and sad to see him go, but uh, probably was overdue for them to, you know, age off into the sunset. Yes, yeah, a double-edged sword in, in a lot of ways
0: where it's two two battles at once, you know, union competing against non-union mm-hmm. competitors. And then, as you mentioned, those big deals, those mega mergers, combinations mm-hmm. of, of like size. Is a very difficult task to, to integrate correctly. You see that in in any in industry you look at, and in the research that says most m deals, certainly of that size, right. don't produce the shareholder value over the long term. And uh, when, when you when you have those two battles raging, or those two fires raging at once, it's it's hard to continue.
1: Yeah, yeah. In in the strike of '94, which I was in Chicago for, that was a whole other top day of discussion and podcasting, kind of the experience of living through a major um, unionized strike. Um, but in 1994, when they struck, they were Conway, um, or I should say Consolidated, Roadway, and and Yellow Freight at the time were still the the premier carriers. They were the significant players in the marketplace. And the strike of '94, really gave the non, uh, non-union regional carriers – just the just the boost that they needed to, to overtake and pass those three giants, um, obviously consolidated didn't last much longer after that strike. Um, and roadway not and, and yellow obviously merged and, and finally YRC um, ended um, in the last 30 days. but that that strike of 94, I think, is undervalued in terms of the impact it had on so many years later on the LTL industry. It was significant. Um, it was an extended extended strike. Um, a lot of business was converted to the regional carriers, the regional non-union carriers, and it, they never got that, some of that business back. So, you know, a lot of factors there, but that strike of 94 really was probably the first tipping point in the demise of, of the major unionized carriers. Yes, exactly right. So that's the, the rear view mirror.
0: Well, let's, uh, look out the windshield now and, uh, and talk about where you're at now, cargo quotes, um. How long you've been there kind of the origin story of cargo
1: quotes and yeah and the the, the market say that you attack so another gentleman of myself um met in early 19 or uh, early 2019 and um he was looking to invest in uh some new business and i was looking to try to try my hand at a startup and um early in 2019 we start some conversations and said yeah we, we we think we can pull this off we've got all the right pieces in place and i had the tribal knowledge and um, he had the equity. So we, we spun it up in May of 2019 and we really got to gaining some traction. Early, and early on, actually, pretty quickly, we hired a couple guys that I'd worked with in the past that had some experience and had some customers that we were able to onboard right away. And obviously, that cash flow thing's pretty critical early on. Um, and then 2019 rolled around. We were headed into 2020, started the year. Great things were happening. And then, obviously, as everybody knows, COVID hit. And we we're going, my goodness, and what do we do now? And the reality is, um, because we were, you know, a small company, we were able to be pretty nimble through that, um, even through the shutdown. Um, and really, as, as things nobody really thought about how the end would come in terms of COVID, it really was a boom, as everybody knows, in the transportation business. It was a boom for supply chain and logistics. So we were kind of on that wave, riding that thing out of, of, uh, out of the shutdown and rolled to the second half of 2020, had a great second half of the year. 21 was an even better year. Um, and and I, I guess one detail I, I failed to mention was we hired um, Patty Hinojosa, who you know, um, worked yeah. with uh, another compatri- compatriot of ours at, at Melton Logistics. I hired her in June of 20, right as we were coming out of COVID. And as you know, she's a go-getter, hit the ground running, really started us to help develop that niche business, that cross-border business, started to build a team um, latter half of 2020 around her. 21 just things started to really pick up some traction for us. Uh, and then 20 we rolled into 22, uh, outstanding growth year for us as a, as a small company. Um, took it from zero to over 25 million in four years. Uh, we thought that was pretty, pretty, um, pretty outstanding performance given every yeah. all the challenges that were thrown at us. Um, and um, yeah, we're, we're kind of rolling into 2023 here, halfway through the year, feeling pretty good about things. Um, as a small company, we can use the use the economy as a reason not to grow, but yeah. um, it doesn't make that doesn't make it that doesn't mean it's e- not easy, right? It's exactly it's um, easy. It's hard on everybody, including the small guys. So. But we continue to build out. Uh, we've got four offices now um, around the country, primarily around the border. obviously, and we've got we just opened our fourth office in central Florida. Um, that's primarily going to be fo- focused on domestic freight forwarding um, and LTL. so um, you know that's, that's kind of where we're at now we've we're we're looking f- uh, for a pretty good second half of the year and Headed into 2024 with a lot of optimism and and um, continue to grow that um, cross border business.
0: It's interesting you talked about COVID and there's that probably 90 day window from mm-hmm. from late March to to late June that everyone was scared to death in in transportation and logistics Absolutely, and then yeah. it turned into a huge bull market, right? right. You know, the, the, the 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 biggest bull market that. that
1: I've ever seen and uh, mm-hmm. maybe you as well. I mean, I can't think yeah, of many, any time like, like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, there was nothing quite like that. I, you know, again, I've been, been around and been in this business since the early 80s and uh, there's no comparison to what we saw coming out of COVID. It's just, it was crazy, 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 crazy good. Not necessarily for the consuming public or inflation, but it was definitely good for the logistics and supply chain um, professionals out there and companies such as uh, Cargo Quotes. So,
0: yeah, it definitely was. Uh, has border kind of calmed down to, to normal um, since since you
1: COVID. Know, know, the lockdown? good thing, I guess. Yeah, I guess the good thing or the upside to the cross border business is the impacts of COVID and the impacts of coming out of COVID weren't as dramatic. Um, there, there weren't as as many excesses, but it kind of insulated us in terms of being able to grow. The demand, I think, remained always higher in the in 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 the cross border area than it did on the domestic US. Um, especially going into this year, I think we saw a later dip and a later trough, if you will, coming into coming into 23 when things really started to ramp down with all the things that the government was doing to try and bring down inflation. So, you know, we we've, we've been somewhat insulated, and that was kind of a hidden benefit that I don't think any of us in our business, um, at least in our company, anticipated the good, mm-hmm. the 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 real upside to the co- coming out of COVID and then the muted downside for us. So, you know, it's still it's still off from last year, but it's not off to the same kind of percentages or gap if you will as the domestic market. So, it's been it's been a real nice surprise. Still hard finding trucks um northbound. It's better. Yeah, better. better. Getting there, yeah. Uh, not impossible. We, you know, we've, you know, we've done a I think a real good job of building relationships with our Mexican carriers now with the B-1 driver program. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of our business comes out of Mexico with and goes right to the U.S. with the same same guys driving. That's helped a lot. So, we're not looking for a carrier every time we cross the border. Uh, probably 45% now is transload of our business. Everything else is through Trader. So, that's mm-hmm. been a big focus on our part to, to really dive in there and get those carriers set up so that we don't have to rely on the domestic um, capacity market for help but it's still a p- big piece of our business for sure it
0: is it, it definitely is you know i mean I, and you brought up uh, those relationships with mexican carriers and i think that is one of the the key ingredients that, that creates a moat mm-hmm. to, to really gaining in on that that business right that that competitive advantage because that is uh, you know coming in from it blind uh, that takes years to, to, to kind of build up and, and get to know the the, the Mexican carriers. You know, certainly, any any movement south of the border, um, with the the visas north of the border now as well. But it's it's so, it's a tricky business um, yeah, building yeah. those relationships down there because yeah, it, it works much them. differently than it does
1: uh, appear domestically. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to steal from Ronald Reagan. Reagan, my still my favorite president. Trust me, verify. That that term has no has more value in Mexico than any you know you can imagine. It's know who you're dealing with, know who you're working with, ask a lot of questions, ask a lot of competitors. Um, you just you know even the best of the best in Mexico have issues just like U.S. cares, but um, you know tying back to that experience you know, with other companies doing the same business doing cross-border, being able to build up those relationships over years as opposed to months or weeks or days really helps us, really gives us the confidence that um, we know who we're dealing with. We know who we can rely on. We know that we can We can put our customers' business in their hands and know that it's going to be executed um, correctly and picked up on time. All those things that, you know, take some of the mystery out of and risk out of cross-border business. Because that, let's get right down to it. The, the, the thing about cross-border, it's always been that gap of that window of time in, in and in, in crossing the border that's been a mystery. Oh, where's my shipment? Where is it? What's happening? What's going on with it? With all of our carriers, they have to be able to provide us 24-7, 365 tracking electronically. So, um, you know, building those partnerships is key trusting but verifying on every single um, step through the process with any new carrier or any new, in, in that case with any new customer so
0: you really do and you, you mentioned the uh the, the, that time lapse mm-hmm. of you know it could be three days or five days sometimes usually uh, i I don't know what it is now but a decade ago three days right?
1: Those yeah, kind of that's, that's that probably close to average. Yeah, three
0: days. Yeah, yeah. and and you know you're going southbound, so then it, you have to get the Drayage company to to move across the border, uh, the customs broker.
1: The, I mean, it's it's really complicated. Um, yeah, there's it's multi-legged, multi stakeholders. Is probably the best yes. way to put it. In every load, even on the through trader opportunities, there's still multiple parties that are involved in that load the customer, us obviously, carriers, customs brokers, all of the parties have to be in sync, have to be um, in communication um, with each other um, to avoid those um, crossing the river issues, right? Yes. From Nuevo to Laredo or Reynosa to, to Arlington or wherever it is, El Paso de Juarez, that's, that's the gap. That's the dark hole of mystery that I've always referred to as you fix that problem, you solve that equation, and you have visibility, which we do with our customers. Um, that makes a huge difference. It takes some of the mystery out of it. It takes the guesswork out of it, and and um, gives our customers more comfort that you know they know exactly what's going on with their shipment and when they can expect to see it make that crossing and, and move on its way. So,
0: we talk about the the, the southern border, right, Mexico, yeah. a lot because of those 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 issues where. Mm-hmm. You know, we moved a lot of stuff in and out of Canada oh, as yeah. well. And um, there, it just works. It just works. Yep. You know, you, you have, as a as a free broker, you have very little evol- involvement in it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially now. You know, it's, it's basically, um, if the carrier knows what they're doing, then, then yeah. that's great. So there's very little you have to get involved. But on the southern side, you have to be involved. Mm, you have oh, to yeah. be involved. Yeah. You have to check the paperwork. Um, I ran into that issue. Um, where the, the customs broker, uh, the BOL, the customs broker, we, I, I was all wrong and there was more product on the trailer then that yep. the went crossed, and that turned into a massive headache. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of stakeholders, a lot of stakeholders, right. a lot of busy people, um, a lot of moving parts that, that you have to keep track of. Uh, yep.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a dance, you know, and there's multiple yeah. dance partners, so it's, it, it can be complicated. It, it can really be, and I, I think that's what really
0: separates it from a domestic mm-hmm. move uh, right. of, of any kind, and um, means that there's less competition. I and mean, it's still a very competitive market, um, but it's very less competitive than you find in a, a drive van from Chicago to Atlanta.
1: Yeah, you know I was listening to the the uh, state of the industry. I think that's the the podcast or the the thing they had Freight Waves had today mm-hmm. at um, twelve. And they were talking about Laredo being one of the busiest, if not one of the busiest truck markets in the country consistently. Um, yes. and l- every year Laredo is growing in terms of the amount of business that's crossing. So, you know, it, 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 you can get lost in a hurry if, if you don't have the right people in place, the right carriers, uh, and have the right t- right amount of communication going on with all those stakeholders, because there is a lot of stuff going on in Laredo, as you, as you know.
0: Well, we talked about the customization, so uh, the, the customs uh, border patrol, right, mm-hmm. on, on both yep. sides, right. Yep. That, that's still it, it's not a mystery, but it's, it's something that you don't have full visibility in. You know, it's it's going to cross. Exactly. You know, they're they're in line to to, to cross, and that's the, they're going to cross when they cross. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yeah, so, I mean, no control over it, yep. and uh, and just teach you, uh, you know, brokers does, and then cross border, you take another. You can't worry too much about what you can't control. You exactly. So to focus on what you can control to make sure that what you can't control, uh, you you you, 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 you make it to where you don't have
1: bad outcomes. Right. Exactly. Yep. It's tough to do. It's tough yeah. To yeah. Do. I mean, we even you know we work with our with our Mexican carriers so that, that we only dispatch them when they have to run during daylight hours, and that's for obviously for security purposes, but it's also for safety. I mean, we care about. The safety of our Mexican carrier drivers and and their and the, and sure. the rest of their staff. So, you know that some people, um, most people, don't realize that most carriers that are crossing into the Mexi- into Mexico are trying to avoid moving their cargo at night. So, there's a limited window of time. Not only, uh, you know, are there issues, potential issues along the border, but we're trying to keep as our Mexican care partners are there, keep their drivers safe. So they, we don't put them at any undue necessary, unnecessary risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that, that closes the window of time that you have to work within as well. So, you know, there are plenty of challenges, but we've got a great team at cargo quotes, um, seasoned veterans, new people that have come up in the, in Laredo and know the market, know the business. Um, and we feel pretty comfortable that we've got, a lot of the answers our customers are looking for when it comes to, to handling their cross border business. And uh, you, you mentioned the the, the fruit waves side
0: of the, the industry. Mm-hmm. I think it's Craig and Zach probably yep, talking it about it. They talk about it quite a bit. We we talked about it, you know, before we hit record or last time we, we spoke. And yep, uh, it's a trend. Reshoring is is here.
1: It's here out it's in the light, right? It's not just a shadow talking anymore. about it. <laughs> <laughs> It was a, I would say it's a hidden gem. But you know, you know that old philosophy about fishing in blue water versus Mm -hmm. red water, right? Well, we we felt like we were lavender water, maybe, and cross border, little blood, but not much. Mm -hmm. Just you know, the competitive landscape wasn't as significant. Um, Now we, you know, everybody. That's the that I I would assume, and I don't have any statistics here, but of all the topics that are written related to logistics and transportation right now. Almost every one of them has something about nearshoring to talk about. That um, so it is very much a number one, number two, number three, top five, let's say, topic of conversation in in our business right now, and we wish it wasn't. Yeah, and we're not afraid yeah, of competition. Right? We're not afraid of competition, but why invite it,
0: right? I know, I know. Well, supply chain is now mainstream, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It went mainstream during COVID, and and. The knock-on effects of that is that the reshoring, but I I don't have the stats either. But every time I look at anything, (laughs) uh, any marketing emails I get, any anything, I I see reshoring, nearshoring, all of that. That's for sure. I know, and you know, there's there's like a perfect storm brewing down on the southern border. And I was talking to Teclo Garcia, uh, a great guest. I've had him on the show many times, but he was an economic development uh, guy there in Laredo. Mm-hmm. He just moved down to Mission. Yeah. And, uh, they're, they're working on a bridge down there. But we talked about it. I think it was last week or two weeks ago on, on the show is that, you know, you, you have reshoring, mm-hmm. you have the lack of space of yeah. warehousing space and, you know, pretty well maxed out on, on all the crossing points. Yeah. You know, traffic is pretty well maxed out. So if there is this reshoring, you know, everyone's talking about it. Take some time, time lag, right? Yeah. for everything to be constructed, plants to move, yep. yada yada yada, two or three years maybe, but we're looking at kind of a perfect storm down there to where uh, there's going to be a lot. There's a lot of bottlenecks now. There, there's going to be a lot more bottlenecks in the future.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's the the rub here is that you know the concern is there will the Mexican government do the right things to build the infrastructure to support the growth, you know you mentioned the bridges, all the bridges, I mean, they all the bridges need to be expanded. Obviously that's a chokehold. You know, you're talking about bottlenecks. Well, the bottleneck right now is the infrastructure around the borders where it's crossing, you know, the capacity for the border cities on both sides mm-hmm. to handle that additional volume. Um, and, and will the Mexican government be a participant in that in terms of them doing the things that they have to do south of the Rio Grande to make sure that that there's infrastructure there to support the ever increasing volume, and like you said, it's there's a lag time there. But two years, three years from now, maybe five years from now, um, with all this foreign investment coming back into Mexico, um, I, they're going to have to participate. They're going to have to figure it out. They're going to have to. The disappointing thing for me is all the investments coming from foreign countries. I'd you know again personally for the Mexican people. I'd like to see, see some Mexican companies start to step up and grow their business as well. It's th- the influx of foreign investments great for the for the people of Mexico in terms of wages, labor, you know, pay, you know, wages and those things. But the Mexican government really needs to figure out how they turn some of this development into infrastructure to support it, because you can only build so much product in all these cities, these manufacturing cities. But if you can't get it to the border because of congestion and because of lack of infrastructure, you know, you're going to you're going to die in your own soup, you know, face down. So, you know, hopefully they do all the right things, make all the right moves. Um, but, you know, we, we talk to people regularly down in the in, in the no down there and it sounds like they're moving some things in the right direction. Hopefully they'll move fast enough um, to accommodate what looks like it's going to be a, a, a significant growth. And manufacturing capacity in, in Mexico for you name it somebody's going to be building it or making it or producing it in Mexico at some point
0: yes uh, that, that that trend is is there and and at some point at yeah. some point but it, it is moving and you can yeah. see it uh,
1: have you been hearing any buzz about San Luis well obviously that's a big automotive hub um I think there's a lot of a lot of potential there for electrification um obviously is as I'm sure most folks have heard you know the Tesla plant that's going in down there it's not in st Louis but um you know there's I think it's any one of those major manufacturing cities obviously monterey has the advantage because of the mm-hmm. proximity to the US but any of those other cities um, again the infrastructure between those towns just it's got to be better you know um uh, but yeah as far as the potential I mean yeah I, I, I think the an electrification I and mean, yeah. it's gonna be it's going to be great you, for Mexico. You mentioned, sorry, I, yeah,
0: it just brought me back. Uh, you mentioned Monterey and mm-hmm. proximity because it's it's ninety miles, I think. Right? Yeah, it's about an hour and a half to to Laurier or to Nueva Laredo. Um, but they need a that, that they need an actual turnpike for for that. I don't know what they've done in the, in the ten years since I was down there, um, but I I think that that it's a, like a three four lane each way. Yeah.
1: yep, it should be right. Yes, it has to be, and it probably needs to be. You know, again, it needs to be bigger, or there need to be alternate routes. You know, I think this is where you're maybe a shoulder to the road. There's only so much, you know, volume you can push through Laredo. I mean, it's just at some point you're going to reach a, a capacity that you just can't overcome with infrastructure. So the other gateways are going to have to grow, and there's going to have to be infrastructure built out there to help them grow. Um, it just, it's, you know, they, those, all of those crossing points, at least on the Texas side of the border, need to, need to develop, uh, you know, more capacity to, to handle volume. It's just, it's just, you know, again, I, there's at some point, there's a maximum capacity for Laredo. I don't know what that max compa- max capacity is. But if you haven't been down there in a while, um, you, you would, you wouldn't believe the number of Warehouses that are being built, the roads, road infrastructure. Texas is doing their part. Now mm-hmm. it, it's, they're doing, they're catching up. And you know how highway construction goes. By the yeah. time you get something built, you need more, right? So, yep. you know, it, it's um, crazy, crazy stuff going on in Laredo, but it's all good. Um, you know, a year and a half down the road, we'll, you know, all that infrastructure will be, hopefully be ready and, and ready to support all that growth in Mexico.
0: Yeah, I haven't been in ten years. I I need to get back down there and see Mines Road and and drive around a little bit and, and check yes. out what what was changed because
1: it is know. a busy place. And if nobody, if the for those who've never been there, that's that's an experience that every person in transportation do, should should have once in their lifetime is to spend a couple of days in Laredo for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, it is it is it's It's like Chicago compressed within about a five mile radius. <laughs> it's <laughs> crazy. <laughs>
0: It is it is crazy. It's fun. Great food too. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Really good stuff down there. Um but yeah, I think that's the, the that's the trend, right? I mean that the trend is is for for the southern border mm-hmm. uh to to explode over the next 10 years. I mean I think when, all signals when
1: China, when China starts investing heavily into Mexico. Yeah. That tells you the potential, you know. Um, so they know it's coming. They know the the experience that the U.S. in well North American um, consumers had when during during the um, I don't know how many total ships were in the port of L.A. at one point. There was a bunch, right? Can get product off the ships, right? Yeah. I think everybody wants to avoid that as as much as possible in the future. And China gets it. I think it it woke the, woke them up and said, "Hey." this isn't going to last forever. We can't continue to produce product and expect it to get into the North American consumer market by ship. We've got to do something different and, and they're heavily investing in Mexico. Yeah. You know, you know, like I said, all the articles about nearshoring, you know, you know, a good percentage of those articles about, are, are about, um, Asian companies moving into, uh, moving production into Mexico. it be interesting. It
0: will be really interesting in the next 10 years. And, uh, and it's a good market to, for it to, to be interesting.
1: Yeah, the but, other uh, thing one that a lot of people aren't talking about is the eva- the valuation of the peso against the dollar. Um, yeah. It's it's becoming more expensive to run businesses in Mexican Mexican companies to run businesses in Mexico because the peso's value is going up against the dollar, which makes it more expensive for them, and that's mm-hmm. a direct that will have a direct impact on. What carriers, Mexican carriers, charge U.S. carriers to do their line haul in Mexico? Because of that, it taught, you know, it, it it increases the amount of money that is out of their pocket yep. for every U.S. dollar they're paid. So that's a big one. And not to say it shouldn't evaluate or va- become more valuable against the dollar, but that's that's the that's the downside to it is it becomes more expensive to operate in Mexico in terms of, of transportation as well as many other things.
0: Yeah, you have foreign direct investment coming in. Yep. It, it always raises the the, the local currency yep. against, the, against the dollar, which kind of evens out everything over time. To, pay to, our, to
1: we, we pay our carriers in dollars, and they pay their employees in pesos. So it costs mm-hmm. them more to pay those employees when the value of the peso goes up. So. you definitely do.
0: So let's go back to the cargo quotes. What are some of the essential ingredients in, in starting a, a brokerage? You know, it doesn't have to be one thing. It could be two, three different things. Um, But but what are your takes on that?
1: Well, kind of hit on maybe a couple of them. Um, But for us, it was really finding a niche where we could play um, in a pretty clean sandbox or a cleaner sandbox. Or as like I I like saying bluer water than red. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we we really hit that hard early on. Uh, knew that we didn't want to compete head to head with it. We couldn't compete head to head with all the big box brokerages out there. The domestic market it was saturated, um, and again, nineteen when we first started, it was a shippers' market, kind of like it yeah. is now. It was everybody, in the, everybody out there was banging away on the phones and the email and social networking, looking for business. So we knew we needed to do something different for us. You know that was that was the cross border business because we had the tribal knowledge, we had the experience, we knew carriers, we had the connections, um, and the fundamentals. It's like I, I'm going to use a college football analogy: it's I well, can tackle. You know mm-hmm. it doesn't matter all if you got that five-star running back wide receiver you know they're they're not going to perform well unless you block and tackle and and that and the defense defensive line it's like in the trenches if you're not in the trenches and doing all the right things right mm-hmm. you know watching your financials spending your money wisely and making the right hiring decisions if you don't do all those things all the sales in the world's not going to do you good because you're not going to be around and then you Exhibition. know uh, yeah and manage your money you know we're the reality is, is I've always said that is, you know, we're a bank. The reality is a brokerage is, is, is a form of a, a lending organization. Mm-hmm. Is not, you know, mo- the majority of our customers are going to pay us lower than we pay our cares. And to be a new broker, to grow your business, to bring on cares, you have to do the payment. You have to do your care payments better than everybody else. You have to be on top of your game. You have to pay them in a timely manner. You can't, come up with excuses why you don't have the money to pay them because if you do they won't do business with you. And as many businesses factor their their invoices now, you're dealing with factoring companies and they will turn on you in a dime. So it's about, you know, it's about cash flow. You know, our customers pay us typically our average days to pay is about 38. We pay our carriers in 21 to 30 days. So there's there's an important component of every new startup is you've got to have good cash flow management. If you don't, you're you're sunk. It just it just won't work it won't it, it won't
0: you'll be selling your Mercedes <laughs> on a Friday afternoon on Craigslist I, yeah. I I won't say who told me that but it was just this week he told me that yeah. uh, right. but but very successful guy um you know he, he figured it out but you know you, you have those cash flow problems
1: yeah, yeah 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 cash cash is king you know the guys that can manage their cash flow well um, manage the receivables well um we never factored. We didn't do any of that stuff. We just, we we met every day. We talked about where our cash is coming from, where it's going out, and we just, you know, you just got to be on top of that. That's yeah. I don't say it's the number one priority, but boy, it's way up there. You know, it's way up there. You got to bring out business. There's no doubt, but yeah, that business can go pays. away pretty quickly if you don't have any money to operate, so. Yep. Business that pays too, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't want any of Well, to at least that's crazy phrase we used to say, you know, I've been doing this long enough not to want to do it for free. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh, so um, I'm going to let you rate me as a freight broker. Uh Yes. You know, intimately. Yeah. um,
1: Rach is a freight broker. Yeah. Oh, you're a good freight broker. You're great. Great sales (laughs) guy. Had all the sales techniques. We're willing and flexible. I mean, how long did you stay in Laredo? Six months, something like that. You moved Six down to Laredo. Months, think, yeah. You're, you're all the things you need in uh, to become a good broker. You are curious, willing to learn. You understand. You understood the analytics of the business. You understood the customer side of the business. So, yeah, on a scale of ten, nine, nine and a half, maybe eight, maybe on some days. Most days, nine. <laughs> Some days three, probably. Yeah, I uh, know there was a couple <laughs> days in there, but who isn't a three every
0: once in a while, right? I know, right. <laughs> well, you were an excellent boss. I I yeah, uh, no, appreciate all the opportunities that you you gave me, and. Um, yep. Set me off on a career in transportation, so I don't know whether to thank you or curse you for
1: that. But well, it let's just turned out very well. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, be careful what you ask for. Um, yeah, that's one of one of the more gratifying things about being in this business is the network of people I've had the privilege to work with and work for. Um, you know, my network of people that you know, I've come in contact over those this almost forty years now is pretty broad, pretty extensive. Um, and, and, but I can count on my hands, some, you know, on two of my hands, some of the people that I really value and, and, um, and, and hold in high regard. And you're certainly on that short list. You're on my short
0: list as well. Um, right. yeah. Well, thanks for, for stopping by. Put that copy yep. down today. And, uh, if our audience wants to learn more about cargo quotes, about yourself, you're on LinkedIn quite a bit. I am. Um, I Kyle am a also. social maven. <laughs> social maven. Yes. Uh, yeah. There you go. And then I I guess CargoQuotes.com.
1: Yep, CargoQuotes.com. There are a lot of good information there. We just um, brought on a really sharp marketing person earlier in the year this year, and she's done a great job of kind of bringing us into the 21st century in terms of social marketing and website development and all that. So I think we have a pretty slick website now, very informative, actually functional as well. Uh, But yeah, yeah, www.cargocotes.com or one eight eight one six. Five two four seventy
0: five hundred. Seventy five hundred. Well, pleasure as always. And yep. um, yeah, for this is gonna wrap up for this episode. Like, follow, put that coffee down wherever you download your audio files, your audio podcasts, and um and also on Freightcast where you find all the Freight Waves a library all in on one channel. But until next time, go out and make some sales, make some origin, enjoy the day. All right.
1: Take care, Kay Hale.
0: Got friends only wanna top business I got expensive, cause win is expensive I got expensive, the win is expensive. I all the I all the I've been getting out of work And I've been shutting nine stars